You're about to hear a sermon from Haddon Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Salt from our study on the gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Have your Bibles with you. If you can open up to Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 1 through 14. Again, if you were here last week, we, this is what we went over last week. Um, and once in a while in our, in our series of Matthew, we, we repeat the same message <laughs> because sometimes there's just so much in a passage that we just don't have the capacity to go through all of it uh, in one go. And last week I tried, I tried to cram it all in there in, in just one, one go. And I, and I feel like I just didn't do justice to the word. And I feel like there's, there's so much here that's so important that we need to really uh, dig a little deeper and flesh out a little bit more. And so, yeah, if you can open up to that passage again, Matthew chapter 24, verses um, 1 to 14. And then I'll, I will read it and then we'll pray and we'll dive in and see what the Lord has for us today. Uh, while I was talking, I should open to it. Here we go. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is, uh, in the context is Jesus is giving his final uh, kind of uh, message to his disciples before, uh, before the passion, his passion begins, before he goes to die on the cross. And so this is what Jesus says. And Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came uh, out to the point out the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be, uh, there will not be one left he- here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, teach us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. And Jesus said to them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear, uh, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the birth pains, are the beginnings of the birth pains. They will deliver you to tribulation, put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let me pray for us. And uh, yeah. We'll get into this message. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, there's so much to be sa- uh, that could be said about this passage, but Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, you know us, you know where each of us are at, and I pray that you will um, speak the, the word and the message that you want us to hear today, it, um, in this day, in this time, in this age. Uh, may we hear the truth of your Holy Spirit, and may we not just listen with our ears, but God, may we obey it with our entire lives. For Lord, the time is short and uh, we don't have time to just wait around or to delay anymore. May we obey you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, Jesus left the temple 
and was going away. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, um, he, he, how he predicted the total destruction of this temple that the disciples were so uh, impressed with. They were looking at these buildings that have just been uh, uh, been renovated by King Herod for about 46 years. And so they're so impressed with these buildings and, and these towers. And Jesus says, he says, I'm not impressed with any of this. In fact, not a single stone is going to be left on top of another, which is an incredible statement to say about a brand new uh, temple. But then in 40 AD or in uh, 70 AD, uh, the Roman general Titus ordered that every stone, as they were destroying the city and burning down the temple, he ordered that every stone be thrown down. And exactly like Jesus said, um, it was, it happened exactly like they thought. And this was now to the disciples, this was a stunning statement that the temple that they were literally standing on, that they're looking at, would, would not, a single stone wouldn't be left. So they were so disturbed by this. They, they later went to Jesus and they asked him, Lord, when, when is this going to happen? This is so crazy to us. Can you tell us when will this be, right? And when will be, tell us when these things will be, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So the rest of this passage that we're going to focus on is Jesus answering those questions. Last week, we focused more on the destruction of the temple itself, the fulfillment of that prophecy. This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about Jesus's answer to his disciples. So he begins to, because and essentially they're asking Jesus, Jesus, tell us the future. And Jesus is actually going to answer them. He doesn't say, oh, you know, you'll find out when you find out. He doesn't say something like that. He actually tells his disciples what's going to happen in the future, right? Um, he tells them what will happen after he leaves the world and, and what's going to happen before he returns again, All right? His second coming is what we call it. Um, and here's the thing. In the Old Testament, there's about 300 prophetic references that describe Jesus's first coming, when the Messiah is first going to show up. And, and the thing is, we, we know this because uh, we talk about this like every Christmas. Every Christmas, we bring out these famous, um, you know, Christmas prophecies like Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, right? Here's one of them where it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and sh they shall call his name Emmanuel, right? We, we, and then, you know, and then we start singing and we have like little Christmas pageants and the, the little children wear the little, you know, I don't know, the little clothes and their sheep and, and they reenact the little, the birth of Jesus. And it's really cute. You know, oh, I always thought it was annoying, but now that I have children, I think it's really cute. And uh, I, I, I can't wait to see my children pretending like little sheep and shepherds and stuff. Right. And so every Christmas we focus on these passages uh, on the first coming of Jesus. But here's the thing. And we, you know, and we do, we have a whole holiday about it, but then here's the thing. Did you know that the references to the second coming of Jesus? Now I said, there's about 300 of them in the old Testament. There are seven times more references in the Bible of Jesus's second coming. So if there's about 300 of them in the old Testament, there's about 1,845 of them in the Bible. That's, that's an extraordinary amount. There are about 150 chapters in the Bible that are dedicated to the end time event. Not the first coming, but the second coming. So it's, I know it's important for us to, to know about the first coming, right? And we have a whole holiday about it and we talk about it all the time. But here's the thing. It already happened. It's in the past. 
right? There's not much we can do about it except acknowledge it and accept it and believe it. But here's, some, here's the thing. There's something that's coming in the future that we actually need to actively prepare for. And Jesus talked about it seven times more than the first coming, right? And the thing is, everything that Jesus says comes true. Jesus said that he'll be killed and he will rise the third day. And it happened. Jesus said that every stone of the temple will be thrown, will be torn down. And it happened. And now Jesus says over and over again that he is coming again and that the end of the age is going to come and all the things that will happen afterwards, he talks about it again and again. And throughout the New Testament, they talk about it again and again. In fact, the final book of the Bible ends with the revelation of the things that will happen. And so I think we, I think we need to take a hint that, I, that this is really important to God. And that this is important to Jesus, that we, his followers, are have at least an awareness and that we're living with the second coming always before us, right? Because he's going to return. And so the first thing is when the, the, the first thing is in uh, verse three, the disciples ask him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of of the age. So the, look at the question. Jesus says, the sign of your coming at, at the end and the end of the age. So the first question we need to ask is, the sign of Jesus' coming? Well, that means he's going to go somewhere, right? How can he arrive if he, you know, if he's already here? So they're clearly talking about a time when Jesus is going to leave. Jesus has been getting his disciples ready. I'm that he is going to, there's going to be a point where Jesus is going to depart from them. And there's going to be a time when he's going to leave all of them and no one can follow him, but then he will return one day. Um, he's, and we know this because in John 14, verse three, Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will, will take, uh, take you to myself that where I am, you will also be. So Jesus, is he told his disciples, he's going to go somewhere, but don't worry, he's going to come back and he's going to bring everyone to where he is, his, his followers. And then later in John 16, 16, he says, a little while you will see me no longer. And then again, in a little while, you will see me. You guys see that? You, you're not going to see me in a, in, a, in a little while and then you'll see me again, right? Where we're living is that in-between part, right? Where Jesus, we don't see him right now, but then in a little while, he's going to return again. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's going to leave and then he will come back. And the, so the disciples are asking him in this passage, Jesus, when you, after you leave, and you, when will you come back? Right? And clearly the early church was very aware of this second coming of Christ. If you look at the New Testament, which has 27 books, 23 of those books talk about the second coming of Jesus. Right? I mean, all but four of the books in the New Testament mention and talk about Jesus's return. So even all of the early first century Christians were people living their whole lives, looking forward to the return of Jesus, living in an anticipation, in preparation for the return of Christ. My question to us today is, are, what are we looking forward to? What are we looking at as we live our lives? Are we always, like when it comes to your faith, are you always looking backwards? Are always thinking about the past? Are you th always thinking about back then? You know, are you always thinking about Jesus's first coming? Are you always thinking about the cross, right? And we're called to remember 
Like, right, we had communion today. We're called to remember, look back onto the cross, but we're supposed to live every day looking forward to the second coming. Do you guys realize our faith is not a backwards looking faith. Our faith is a forward looking second coming. Our lives waiting for, anticipating, preparing for that second coming, right? And so what are we looking at? What are your eyes upon every day? Are you looking forward to the return of Jesus? How are you spending your money? How are you spending your time? Are you spending it as if Christ was going to return? And I'm here to say, I don't think many of us are, right? I mean, Paul said that he's always living, straining forward, forgetting what's behind and always straining forward towards what is is ahead. The disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? When Jesus comes, it says, it will be the end of the age. Right now, we're living in that age, the period between Jesus going physically and returning. And that's what we call the church age. The church, when the Gentile believers will rise up from all corners of the earth and come to know Jesus. And that's what's happening right now. This age, and when this age will come to an end, when Christ returns. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20, the last thing he said to his disciples was this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the the church coming together. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now listen to this. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the age that the disciples were asking, when will it come to an end? This During this age, the one that we're living in right now, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making disciples, baptizing, and teaching others to observe the commandments of Jesus. During this time, The Holy Spirit is with us until the end of this age, right? In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is going to go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send you to him. So right now, Jesus is not on the earth physically. He is in heaven and the Holy Spirit is with us. But one day he will return. And the question that they are asking is when you return, the age comes to an end, the age of disciple making and and all of this will end. What will happen before then? And Jesus says, and here are the things that are going to happen. So pay attention. Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. One of the things that will happen during this age, the church age, is that there are going to be many false Christian teachings and false Christs that are presented to the world. There will literally be people who claim to be the Jewish Messiah that will be false. And that has happened. If you look at history, there are, there's a list of false Messiah claims that have come throughout history already. And not only are there false literal Christs, but there are people who uh, – have many false teachings. A lot of the, um, look at Galatians chapter one, verse six to seven. This is first century, Paul. He's saying, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you uh, who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is within the lifespan of the, of the disciples already. There are false teachings who are coming to distort 
the gospel of Christ. People that are coming saying like, you need to be saved by, by, the, by the law. You have to become a Jew. You have to do these things in order to be saved. And, and there's all these different teachings and there have been teachings all throughout history that are trying to lead people astray, trying to lead Christians into a false gospel. This isn't a completely different religion. These are groups, Christian groups, that have a false doctrine that are leading believers astray. Look, at, it says uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Paul warns Timothy, for the, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. These false teachings that lead people astray are going to be teachers that teach things that people want to hear, things that are going to sound really comfortable, things that are going to sound good to people's ears, and uh, yeah, that that are, that's a different from what the gospel actually says. And so he tells them in verse chapter three, verse 16, he says, so all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So guys, what do we do? Jesus says, see that you are not led astray. If people are leading you astray, then what can we do to not be led astray during this time? Because it's happening right now. These things are all around us. People will lead you astray. So don't put your total trust in pastors, in prophets, or podcasts, or whatever people might be telling you, like, what to believe and what, who Jesus is. Like, it's, those people may be helpful, but the thing that Paul points Timothy towards is the word of God. Guys, during these times, especially these last days, when there's going to be lots of false teachings, lots of false gospels running around that might appeal to, to our desires, but might not be what God wants us to do, we have to know and study and meditate and follow the word of God. Psalm chapter 119, verse 9 through 11 says, How can a man, young man, keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guys, how are we going to keep ourselves from being led astray by false doctrines? I mean, I'm not even going to go into all the false doctrines that are out there. But the way that we can always be kept on the path is if we are meditating, storing up the word of God in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. We're supposed to meditate on it day and night. Guys, the end times are here and there are lies all around us and they're really hard to spot and they sound really good coming from clever men, all right? And my question is, are you being led astray? You don't know unless you cling to his word every day unless you obey it don't just read it but you have to abide by it don't just read it and be like oh that's good no you have to do what it says and as you abide by it it'll keep you from being led astray right jesus is telling you ahead of time that these things are going to happen before the end Look what else he says in verse six. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Guys, I, I don't know this week. 
don't know if it's extra crazy, but as I was scrolling through the news feeds this week, everything, the skies looked like it, everything was red and the world looked like it was on fire, right? Like, like the Western part of America, it looks like it's all burning down. Like it's just things that look so crazy right now. Tensions between all the superpowers in the world are really high. Like there's just, there's trade things and economic collapses. Like every, everything I'm reading is just causing me to feel alarmed, right? The, every alarm that should be going off seems to be going off in the world right now, right? The 20th century was the most violent in history. The 21st century, all the nations seem to be rising up against each other again, economically, like technologically. The natural disasters are, are increasing earthquakes and hurricanes and wildfires and famines and pandemic. Things are going to get worse, right? You know, in, in the in the, in the 19th and 20th century, during the Industrial Revolution on, there was this movement of thought called uh, modernism, right? We're living in postmodernism, but modernism was the thought that human beings with all of our knowledge, technology, education, and progress, that we will be able to fix the world, that we will be able to achieve peace, that we'll be able to fix everything, all the problems that, hum that mankind has, we as humanity will be able to fix it. And by the end of the 20th century, we saw that that thought process completely failed. Humanity is not getting better. Guys, we are more technologically advanced. We have more information. We have so many things at our advantage, but look at our world. Are we making it better? With all of our progress, things are only getting worse. And here's the thing. Jesus said it was going to happen like this. He outpredicted all of the modern thinkers and scholars, and he said that things are going to get worse before the end. They're not going to get better. But here's what he says. Here's, and I don't want you to get depressed. Don't, don't sign off yet, because what Jesus tells his followers is while everything in the world is falling apart, while everything seems like it's getting worse, the world is filled with war and stability and disasters and sickness, he says, do not be alarmed. He's saying this to his disciples. Don't be alarmed. John chapter 14, verse 27, because here's what we have, even though our world falls apart. Peace I live with, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. I do, I do give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Psalm chapter 29, verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. In the Old Testament, whenever it talks about waters, waters symbolized chaos in the ancient world. And when the world was filled with chaos and raging waters and death, Jesus says that God's voice is over it all. And right now, that's what it feels like. We're, our world feels like it's just in a raging chaos of waters and we don't know what's going to happen next. God's voice is over it all. Psalm chapter 2 verse 4. It talks about the nations raging against God. All the nations coming together and raging against each other and raging against God. And this is what uh, the psalmist says. God, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. I love this because it says that when the whole world is, is freaking out and they're angry and they're warring and they're all uh, uh, raging against God, you know what God does? He doesn't say, he doesn't freak out. He's not like, he's not like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what's happening. Why is all these terrible things happening? He doesn't freak out. God laughs because he is sovereign over it all. 
Guys, Jesus says, in the midst of all this craziness in our lives, he says, stop being alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Where is your peace? Is there anybody worried today? Anybody filled with anxiety today? If you are a disciple of Jesus, he says, don't be alarmed. What are you alarmed about? Where is your faith? Everything's getting worse, Jesus. I, how can we be alarmed? He's like, I know. I told you it was going to happen. Jesus told us that these things were going to happen. We don't have to be afraid. You see the church being divided and fighting and falling apart. Don't be afraid. Jesus said this was going to happen. He said they're all going to betray each other and everyone's going to fall away and all these, you know, like all this hypocrisy and things are going to happen. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Sometimes I freak out when I see, you know, people falling away, friends falling away, you know, churches falling away, churches breaking apart. I'm like, oh no, what do I do? And Jesus is like, don't be alarmed. I told you this was going to happen. First Peter chapter five, verse seven, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. He cares for us and he knows that this was all going to happen. We can trust in him. He is in control. When non-believers say, how could a good God let all these things happen? You'd be like, hey, a good God already told us this was all going to happen. So stop. We don't need to worry. Verse eight says, all of these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. The birth pains of the end. So these things will happen before the end of the age, before Jesus returns and, and makes it all better. These are the birth pains. And, and here's the thing, birth pains, they, like I told, talked about last week, they come in waves. And as the contractions grow more and more frequent and more closer together, it becomes more intense and it happens faster and faster, right? And all of these things that Jesus talked about, most of these things happened already in the first century, but then it happens again and again, waves of false teaching, of violence, of disasters and persecutions, but the scale keeps getting bigger and bigger. Because look at history, Christian persecution keeps getting bigger and bigger. The first century, they were persecuted, but that was a relatively small amount of Christians that were killed. But then as Christianity grew, as history went on, every persecution, more and more Christians were killed. And today in the 20 and 21st century, more Christians have been killed than any other century, all of them combined. So these things are getting bigger and bigger. Disasters are getting bigger. The wars are getting bigger. But the birth pains don't last forever. Anyone who's had a baby, raise your hand. No, you don't have to raise your hand. I know who you are. You know that you think you're going to die and you feel like you're going to, I don't know, but I've heard from my wife that you feel like you're going to die. But here's the thing. Birth pains, as painful as they are, they, they end. And after they end, you have this beautiful thing looking at you. <laughs> there's life and there's joy. Birth pains don't last forever. And as painful as they are, it leads to the final push. And here's the thing. The final push is usually the worst. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, don't worry. It's going to get, it's going to be bad. And, but at the end, it's going to get worse, but it will end because they're just birth pains. We're going to be birthed into a new life, but the last push is going to be the worst. And that's what verse nine talks about. Verse nine, he says, and then they will deliver you up. So when these birth pains are happening, 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 and then at the end, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. At the very end of the age, before the return of Christ, the Bible talks about a time, a, a, a period of time called the, the tribulation. And this is going to be a, a time of great suffering all throughout the world. Like all these things, all these birth pains are going to be at their peak. It's going to get so bad 
And it's going to get especially bad for those who are followers of Jesus because they're going to get persecuted. They're going to be put to death and they will literally be hated by all nations for his name's sake. Guys, this is not the wealth and health. All your dreams will be fulfilled gospel. This is not like if you follow Jesus, your marriage will be perfect and you'll have perfect kids. No, the only things that are promised that Jesus promises his followers is that things are going to get worse and then they're going to get even worse. And then at the end, you're going to get tribulation, persecution, you're going to die and everyone is going to hate you. That is the promise of the gospel. <laughs> it's like, all right, who wants to come and join? Here are the things that he literally promised you. He didn't promise you health. He didn't promise you, you know, whatever. He promised you these things. Persecution will rise. And it is rising. And there will be a time. Right now, it's already happening. But the nations are, are turning against the teachings and the following followers of Jesus. Can you guys feel it already? Already, right now, even here, in a country that's supposed to be free, you know that if you want to fit in at your workplace, at your school, in the wider culture, you're, you can't talk about Jesus. You can talk about him at home, on your own time, but you can't do it at school. You can't do it at work. You can't do it in the wider culture. You have to be silent. If you want to fit in with our culture today, if you don't want to be hated, if you don't want to be looked at as strange, then you have to be silent, right? You have to be silent about your belief. You have to be silent about the gospel. You literally have to disobey Jesus because Jesus tells us to not be silent about our faith, but you have to disobey him if you want to fit in with the world. You literally have to fall away from his commandments if you want to gain acceptance in this world. Do you want to be popular? You want people to accept you? You want everyone to like, like you? Then you cannot follow Jesus because he says, as time goes on, if we actually want to follow him, we will be hated by the entire world. All nations will hate us. And that means our nation as well, the one we live in too. They're turning on the teachings of Christ. It's harder and harder to follow the actual teachings of the Bible, the laws of this book. They are, they are looked at it as antiquated and they're looked at as crazy by some people and we're, we can't talk about it. And if we want to follow him, you will start to be hated. Christianity is, true Christianity is not popular. True Christianity is, is actually stands against most of what our culture today calls good. And the more you stand up for what the Bible says and what Jesus teaches, you will be called a fool. You will be mocked. You will be hated. And the question is, as we get closer and closer to these times, are you ready? Are you ready to be hated? Are you ready to be mocked? You know, maybe for some of you, you've been, you've been mocked, you know, a lot made fun of, then you've been prepared. <laughs> for the rest of you who are like, you hate, you like, you're not used to getting mocked. You're not used to people like calling you names and calling you crazy things. Then, you, you know, maybe you should, you know, practice. I don't know. <laughs> getting mocked or something, because here's the thing, if you're actually following Jesus, you will be. James chapter four, verse four, it says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Guys, I, I feel this tension. Like I want to be a friend of the world. 
I want to fit in. I want people to like me. I want, you know, people to look at me and be like, wow, that guy's so reasonable. He's so, you know, whatever. He's so nice. I don't want to be looked at as the crazy, you know, Jesus following Bible guy. But here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You have to choose. Are you ready to be mocked? Are you living for the approval of people? Are you sharing your faith or are you silent? Are your beliefs so private, so quiet that no one hates you for Jesus' sake because no one even knows you're associated with his name? A lot of us, people don't even know what you believe because we're so quiet about it. And if you're silent about Christ, then you are basically denying him. The next question, it says, are you, is, are you ready to die? Are you ready not only to be mocked and persecuted, but are you ready to die and to be killed, to denounce all that you have? Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is not a metaphor. He meant this literally. Are you and I, are we willing to lay down our lives to follow Christ. It's easy to say it. We sing about it all the time, but are we actually going to do it? When, when the time comes, and here's how I know that we're going to do it if the time comes. Are you, are you denying your life right now? Are you? Are you denying your flesh in pursuit of holiness? Are, are you letting go of your worldly riches? Are you letting go of your worldly comforts in obedience to Christ? right? Like right now, not tomorrow, not one day, not when things get better or when life becomes, when I have more free time, then I'll start to deny myself. Then I'll, no, no, right now, are you fighting? Are you denying yourself? Are you, are you dying to yourself today? Because if you're not doing it today, you think you're going to do it when there's a gun to your head? What makes you think that one day you're just going to turn it on when you spend your whole life not denying yourself saying yes to yourself, saying no to Christ, and then suddenly you think when persecution comes, you're going to flip that around? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Brothers and sisters, are you resisting your sin? Are you struggling against your sin? Not tomorrow, today. Are you struggling and fighting and doing what you can to pursue holiness, to pursue obedience to him against yourself today? Because one day we're going to have to fight against the world. And if you're not struggling that hard even against yourself, don't tell me you're going to suddenly stand up for Christ when the whole world is against you. The battle is today. Don't just sit around saying, oh, I'll wait until persecution happens. I'll wait till they start outlawing Christianity. Then I will stand for Christ. You have to stand today. Look what Jesus says in Luke 16, 10. He says, the one who's faithful with little is also faithful in much. The one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You know, if, you're, if we're not faithful but standing up for him in the little things, if we're not faithful denying our, our own flesh, dying to ourselves in our daily battles, what makes you think you're going to die for him in the big battles to come? What makes you think you're going to stand up for Christ when the whole world turns against you? Guys, we have to seek him today. We have to stop seeking people's approval today. We have to stop wanting everyone's 
you know, the popularity today. We have to let it go now. We have to fight our desires now. We have to deny ourselves today so that we can say yes to Jesus tomorrow before the end of the age. There will be a time that will come when this dying, when picking up your cross will not be metaphorical, but it will be literal. And if we're not denying ourselves every day, will you stand in the tribulation? Verse 12 says, because lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. He's talking about those, these end times. Lawlessness will increase. And I talked a little bit about what this means last week. But lawlessness is the absence of law, especially the law of God over someone's heart. It's people rejecting God's law, saying, no one can tell me what to do. It's humanism, right? It's whatever I want to do. I'm the lawgiver, not God. And we reject, I'm going to do whatever I want, do whatever I feel. There is no truth. There are no rules, right? That's what, that's the, that's what our world tells us. Believe in yourself, follow your heart, do your, you know, you do you, right? Love whoever you want to love. It's, as long as it's you want, it, that's what makes it right. You're the God of your own life. There is no law over you. That's lawlessness, guys. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, Paul warns of the same thing. He says, but understand this, in the last days, he says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for peoples will be lovers of themselves. Look at, you see that? Themselves will be the ones on the throne. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. There it is again. Like they're trying to throw off even like their parents' authority. They're like, no, 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 I'm the only authority. No one can tell me what to do. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Guys, this humanism, it sounds so right. It sounds godly. Oh, guys, just do whatever you want. Follow your heart. You can't deny what anyone else wants. That sounds godly. It sounds right. It's what Disney tells us to do, but it appears godly, but it's lawlessness in, in disguise. And we need to fight lawlessness of this world. We need to fight humanism, do whatever you want sort of approach, follow your heart, follow your emotions approach. That is lawlessness. And we need to fight it with submission to the law. The opposite of lawlessness is absolute obedience to the law of God. The law cannot save us, but we've been saved by Christ so that we can now live in submission to the law. Because in under his law is where true life really is. Guys, we need to live our lives according to his rules. Did you know that that's how we fight lawlessness? By fighting to obey his rules. And not fighting against, like, look, the, right now the culture is like, throw off all the laws. But the culture of Christ is we need to fight to submit to the law of Christ. We need to learn to love his law. Look at Psalm 119 verse 20. This guy who wrote this song, he wrote, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Like, I don't know if you read Psalm 119 verse 20, but this guy is in love with the law of God. Learn to love the law. Immature people say, oh, I hate rules. I hate God's laws. That means you're immature. You need to grow. The law of God doesn't need to change. You need to change. You need to change to embrace the law of God and to take your life and to submit it underneath his law and learn to love it because you're going to find eternal life there. 
And it's, as you let that law increase in your life, as you study the law, when was the last time you looked at the Ten Commandments and asked yourself, is my life lining up with these Ten Commandments? I mean, God gave these commandments to his people saying, this is what will set you apart, right? Have you looked at them lately? One by one, did you go over them and be like, am I actually taking these things seriously? You might find a couple in there that you're completely ignoring or are not in line with. Then there's lawlessness there. Don't let that increase. Let, law, let lawfulness, love for his law, grow in our lives as the end times come. And then look what else it says. He said, and then that the love of many will grow cold. Jesus is specifically talking about his followers. There will be many Christians whose love will grow cold. Not only will lawlessness increase, but then the decrease of love will happen in Christians. Many Christians will, you know, maybe there was a time when you were early in your faith or maybe when you were younger, when you, you loved people more, you loved other believers more. You like saw them and you wanted to pray for them. And you saw, you heard that someone was, you know, having a hard time. And you're like, oh, your heart just broke for them. And you wanted to pray for them or whatever. And you're like, oh, what can I do? Things like that. And now you've gotten older, you know, put a couple years under your belt. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that already. Oh, your mom's sick. Yeah, I know. That's fine. Whatever. You know, like you, you start, you stop caring as much, right? Maybe, maybe you got hurt. Like what happened to you, bro? You know, like maybe something happened. Maybe you, you, know, you, you got jaded by, by church people. Maybe you had accountabilities that fell through. Maybe you had promises that were broken. Maybe pastors let you down. But over time, as your heart gets jaded, your love for people, for the church, started to get a little colder and colder and less and less. Guys, don't let your love grow cold. Because in the end times, Jesus warns against that. You need to return to your first love. I want you to ask yourself, don't think about, oh, it's like, oh, I can think of five people whose love is going, no, no, I'm talking about you. <laughs> Are you, do you love people more or less than last year? Like the trajectory of your life. Are you loving people more now? Is it growing? Is the love for others and other believers and for God growing or is it getting smaller and smaller? And if you can't tell, then ask people. I want you to, today, I want you to ask the people around you, hey, Am I, love, am I more loving to you or do I seem less loving to you than I used to? They'll be like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's a hard question. If you're married, ask your wife, ask your husband. Am I more loving, am I less loving than before? I don't know. It's some hard questions, but if your love is growing colder, then you need to repent and to return to your first love as you loved at first and ask God to, to increase that love for him and for other people. And it has to do with the law. If you're not living under the law of God, your love for others cannot grow. And finally, he says, if you, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Guys, as the end times come, you, you don't just start the race. You got to finish it. A lot of you, you might have started with your faith, but if you don't finish the race, you won't be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So that you so run that you may obtain it. Paul was he saying, like, you need to run the race, like you, and you gotta finish it. You can't just start it and you'd be like, Oh, well, I started the race. I, I'm good, right? I'm in the race. Guys, the race, just starting it is not salvation. You need to finish it. You need to run to the finish line. 
Are you enduring? Are you running after Christ? Are you fighting against your sin? Are you loving other people? Are you studying his word? Are you living in, under his law right now? Are you fighting, guys? And if you're not, if you stopped or if you gave up, you're not enduring. The race is not over. So get up. Keep running. Some of you have given up. You're, or you're, just, you're in the race, but you're just kind of standing there. Or you, maybe you're just walking. Or you're on the ground or you're rolling backwards. I don't know what you're doing, but the race isn't over. Get up, finish the race. And if you feel like you can't get up, then pray, ask the Lord to pick you up and help you get to the finish line, right? This is where I would put in a video of, of some Olympic athlete falling and then some, the father coming from the stands to pick him up and walk through the finish line with the music and it's very sad, but you know, they just that, that, that needs to happen if for some of you right now. We need to be like Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, I don't consider making it my own. Paul doesn't look back. He's still straining to finish his race. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul is running with all that he can. He started, he's, he's the greatest missionary that's ever lived, and he's still straining forward. He's not done with his race. He's not waiting for retirement. He's not saving up to live a comfortable life. He's straining till the day that he sees Christ to run this race. In Paul's life, he was betrayed. He was beaten. He was like almost killed several times, but he doesn't stop running. Guys, we can't stop running either. Until this happens. Matthew 24, verse, 1, uh, verse 14, Jesus says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all, the entire world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know why I am thinking, as much as all of these things that Jesus mentioned happens in every generation, you know why I think we might be in that final push? Why we might be in the last contraction before the baby comes, before Christ returns, before the end comes? Because, guys, we are in the only generation where this last part of the prophecy could be fulfilled do you realize that did you know Wycliffe bible translators the greatest the best the greatest bible translators in the world they are on track to translating the bible in every known language by 2024 that's in four years that the bible will be translated in every single language that exists right now not in like 30, in 20, in four years. Which means that everyone on the planet is going to have the gospel in their language. You know, the International Mission Board says this, for the first time in history, this generation possesses the knowledge and the tools to complete the Great Commission. John Piper said, we should be dumbfounded by how doable the remaining task of world missions is. Like that's what we should be done. We should be like, I cannot believe we're this close to the end. And many leading mission experts, many of them, like these are the guys who are on the front lines who are coordinating hundreds and thousands of missionaries around the world. They're the ones there doing all this research. They're saying that we might be able to reach all the remaining people, people groups left by at least 2030. That is not long from now. This is crazy. <laughs> the return of Christ, 
Every other generation that saw all of these signs, these birth pains, were not close to this last verse. All the nations, all the world, the gospel will be proclaimed. We might be living in that generation. And then he says, and then the end will come. The end will not come before that. It will come when the gospel has reached the nations. And guys, we are close. I'm not telling you exactly when it's going to happen, but I'm saying it is. I think we're getting close. And it would be foolish of us not to take the return of Christ seriously with our lives. It doesn't matter what generation we live in. We should always be living like Paul, looking forward to his coming. But I think even more now, especially our generation. Guys, we need to take the law of God seriously. We need to make sure that we are not pulled astray by other teachings and fix our eyes upon his word every day, meditating on it day and night. We need to be fighting our sin to the point of, of, of death. We need to not be chasing the approval of people not worried about being mocked, but we need to live boldly and courageously for Christ. For when he returns, because he is coming soon, will he find us being faithful or will he find us sleeping? Church, this is good news because as terrible as things are in the world, when Christ returns, he will make the world new. And he's going to make He's going to wipe every tear from our, from our eyes and all the pain and the suffering and the sorrow he will make right. But we have to endure. So let's endure today and let's take seriously our faith. Let's not wait for tomorrow for this is the day that he's given us. This is the time when we're called to live and to, to seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray. I know we went over this passage again, but God, I pray that, Lord, this time we heard your heart. May we hear the urgency of your call. And may, if some of us have been sleeping through life, sleeping through our weeks spiritually, in apathy, in sin, may we wake up today realizing that the time is short. May we fix our eyes upon your word, upon your law. May we take our eyes off of people and live for the second coming. Lord, take our time, our resources, our lives. And may we run this race until we see your face. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you're blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.